Uh, we give another hand for our children this morning, this afternoon, and doing an excellent job. And I'm not a singer, Principal Cameron, or Brother Bolton, but I think I heard some nice harmonies in there, uh, maybe even a key change or two. Uh, but they did an excellent job, and we're grateful to what uh, Kevin Cameron and his team are doing over there at Raymond Junior Academy. Praise God for them. Uh, this morning, I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord. How about you? Grateful to be here. I want to let you know uh, Pastor Edmonds is traveling now in the Southeastern Conference, which is to say he's in Florida, and we pray for his safe traveling mercies back. Uh, we weren't here this week because we both attended a pastoral evangelism uh, leadership conference where we got to rub shoulders with a few of our colleagues and a few of the people that we went to school with and also get some training and some equipping that we are desperately in need of towards the end of the year. You know, after you're giving, 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 eventually your cup begins to get empty. Amen. And sometimes preachers need preaching too. And so we go down to the pastoral evangelism leadership conference uh, at the end of every year. But now we're back and we're here and we're excited to continue this series, Committed to Christmas. What is the title? Committed to Christmas. And because I don't want to waste any more of your time today and because the kids did so well, I guess I better say something that's worthwhile this morning. Uh, So turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 21. If you haven't been here with us for a while, we're in this series committed to Christmas in which we study certain characters, particular characters in the Christmas story who we believe were instrumental in ushering in Christ's first advent. And we believe there are some tidbits and some advice for our daily lives that we can apply to our lives today. So the book is Luke, Luke chapter 2, and we will begin at... Verse 21, Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, and when you have it, if you really mean it, when you have it, just shout back at me, pastor, I want the word. Oh, that's not good enough. You don't really want it. If you really want it, say, pastor, I want the word. Well, here I am. God, use me. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, the word of God says, on the eighth day, what day? When it was time to circumcise this child, he was named Jesus. What's his name? The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. What's his name? Who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. Have mercy, God. Before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so being moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms, and he began to praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. With your prayers this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, all in, all in. Father in heaven, as always, as in every second of every day, as in every moment of every hour, I need your help. If I try to do this by myself, I will fall flat on my face and possibly bring reproach to your name. And so what I'm asking is, God, we have advertised that God is in this place. So, Lord, make that real to somebody in the audience today. I pray that some person who has just walked in here by accident and what they think is by happenstance, God, I pray that you may blow their minds today by what is in your word. And I'm not asking, oh God, that you make a name for me. I'm not asking, oh God, that you have my name in lights. I don't care about the accolades or the kudos. I just care that somebody gets to know Jesus today and I don't want to stand in the way. So, Father, hide me behind the cross, and when it's all said and done, my prayer is that nobody will remember the messenger. That's not important. I pray that nobody would not so much remember the message. That's not really important. I'm praying that somebody would get to know the master that is in the message. Bless somebody's heart and mind. Allow your Holy Spirit to run rampant in this place. And I don't know about everybody else up in here, but I will be careful to give you all praise, honor, and glory. And God, if you never do another thing and we never get what we're seeking for from you, if we never get that blessing that we're praying for right now, if we never have a door open that we're praying for in this moment, our prayer is always the same. Don't come and not save us. Save us all into your kingdom. These and all of the blessings we pray in the name of Jesus. Let everybody say amen, amen, and amen. All in, all in. You heard the pastor speak last week about the shepherds and how the angels began to sing a song and tell them, listen, Christ is on his way. Go to him and give him glory. The shepherds did that. They met Mary and Joseph in the manger with a whole bunch of stinking and filthy cattle where the son of the living God was supposed to be born. There the wise men showed up as well, offering gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Everybody knows the Christmas story real well. But then the Bible says after Jesus is born, the Bible says that on the eighth day, what day? The eighth day, according to Hebrew and Jewish custom, every baby, every male baby is supposed to be circumcised, no excuses. Then 40 days after the birth of any firstborn male child, the woman is ceremonially unclean. In other words, she is ritually unclean because she had a child. She is unclean before God. And before she can bring the child to the temple to have the temple dedicated, she must go 40 days of not appearing before anybody. 
And it's interesting because you have to wonder where this custom comes from. And if you go back in your Bibles and read Exodus and Leviticus, and you begin to understand the history in the Hebrew culture, what you will begin to notice is that back when the Hebrews were in the land of the Egyptians and they were slaves of them, they were slaves, I say, of the Egyptians. They had no rights of their own. They were in chains. They were working like dogs under the whip of their their Egyptian taskmasters. The Bible says, that one day Pharaoh makes a decree that every firstborn Hebrew man-child should die. Well, God flipped that thing as he often does and works, out, works things out on behalf of his people. And the word of God says that God told his people, listen, I want each and every one of you for his household to slit a lamb, take the blood, And wipe it on the doorpost and lintel of your homes. And when the death angel comes, it will pass over your house because of the blood. (laughs) Not because of what you have done. Not because you are of the Hebrew nation. But because the blood is on your doorstep, the angel will pass over and your children will not die. Well, after that event, God also spoke to Moses, and he said, Moses, listen, from now on, tell the people of God that because I redeemed their children, their children no longer belong to them. Oh, oh, okay. Let them know that their children, especially their firstborn, belong to me. Y'all slow, but y'all worth waiting on today. Let me help you today. Um, God said, every child belongs to me. And contrary to popular belief, and just because this is Raymond School Day, and I know we got a whole bunch of parents in the audience today, might I remind you, brothers and sisters, your kids are not yours. You may have done the do to get them here. Oh, come on, say Amen. Uh, But at the end of the day, every child that is born on the top side of this earth belongs to God. And so the institution of dedicating a child to the temple was not arbitrary. What every parent had to do when a firstborn male was born was that they had to come to the temple and present the child before the priest. The priest would take a look at a child, make sure that it doesn't have any defects, write the child's name on a scroll, but also the parents had to bring a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was usually a lamb. But if certain parties were too poor, they could substitute the lamb by two turtle doves. That's why in the scripture we find out that Mary and Joseph did not bring a lamb at all. They brought two turtle doves because they were too meager in their funds. They had no money in their bank account. They were very poor and poverty stricken and so in order to get the child blessed they had to bring two turtle doves well the word is also clear too that 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 the dedication was not only for the child the dedication was for the parents as well when the parents brought their child to the temple they were basically signing a contract and covenant with god this child shall be raised In the fear and admonition of the Lord. (laughs) They were telling God, God, 
you have given me this child. This is not a child of my own doing. I did not bring it into the world. You created this child, and this child belongs to you. And so when they brought a sacrifice, essentially, the word of God says that they were redeeming the child back to themselves. In other words, they were buying the child back from God and telling God, God, I am responsible for this child's soul salvation. Okay, then let me make this real today because I feel you're not with me. Here it is. Uh, You parents are responsible for your children. Their blood will be on your hands for what you do and what you do not tell them. Oh, help me, God. Help me today. Because you will not instill within them God. If they come down to the end of their days and they never meet God, they should have met God somewhere along the way in their early life in your homes. Even if the preacher does not preach the straight truth, and there's no church within a thousand miles, your kids ought to know God because you should know God. And God called every parent to account. And told them, before you do anything, 40 days after this child is born, you bring that child to get circumcised, you bring that child to get dedicated and blessed, and you surrender yourself to me all over again. But that's not the point I want to make today. That's just a stopping point. I stopped the car, but I'll keep the engine running right here. The funny thing about this passage is not what's in the passage, but what is lacking from it. It's funny how Mary and Joseph bring the little bitty baby Jesus to the temple and, and, and they bring him and they dedicate him to, them, to the priests. But there's no mention of the priests in this passage. It's just interesting to me that there is no mention of the man of the house of God at all. In other words, the priests at this time did not even recognize Jesus when he came. (laughs) Help me, Lord. The priests, the people who had been to seminary and the people who have studied God's word, they did not recognize that there was something different about this young couple as opposed to every other couple that had come through their doors every other day. They missed the fact that the baby in Mary's arms that day was the very living son of God. The priests, I say the priests, the what? The people who are supposed to know God. The people who are supposed to be in relationship with him. The people who are supposed to recognize the signs of the times do not recognize Jesus when he shows up. And I want to posture something today. I believe they missed him because they expected him to come with great fanfare and riches. They expected him to come with a crown already on his head. They did not expect him to come helpless and dependent on his mother as was every other baby during that day. And they missed the first coming of Jesus because the brothers were not paying attention. 
They're just going through the rituals of service. Sister White says that every time somebody would bring a baby, they'd lift up the baby before the altar, check it, scribble down on the scroll what the name of the baby was, pass it back to the mother or the father, and usher them off with not so much as an amen or a thank you, Jesus. They were not paying attention, just going through the robotics of ministry, not trying to experience God. Neither were they caring if the people that came into the church were experiencing God at all. They were not reading God's word anymore. We're not spending time in steadfast prayer. They were not keeping abreast of the prophecies and the signs of the times. They were not watching. Mm. Neither were their lamps continually filled, trimmed, and burning. They were simply in the church, doing the work of the church, but not caring anymore why they were in the church. They were doing the work of God, but forgetting the God of the work. And these brothers, if nobody else in the land, should have gotten it. Because the word says in Isaiah 7 verse 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. And if they were looking for him, they would have recognized him when he came. But you're asking, say, Pastor, wait a minute now. Jesus was just a little bit of a baby boy. Um, nobody really going to recognize that. It's impossible. There's no other way. Then how come the shepherds got it? How come the wise men got it? And how is it that the only people who don't get it are the people of God? <laughs> and, and, and to me, it's just sad that Mary and Joseph bring the son of the living God to the priests. They look at him as they would any other child. They accept the offering. They give him a certificate, and then they usher him on its way. And it's, it's just kind of sad to me today as well that this egregious error hmm, and this massive mishap on the part of the priest is actually still happening today. Can I tell you a secret today, brothers and sisters? It's quite possible that God could be trying to show up in your life and you do not even recognize him. All right. All right. I see I'm going to have to talk to myself today. And that's quite all right. Most people don't believe what I'm saying right now. Because most people say to themselves, Pastor, now that, that just don't make no sense. God is too big and he's too powerful to be overlooked. God is too apparent and he's too obvious for me to misunderstand him. If God shows up in my life today, I know that I will notice him. I know I will see him for who he is. But then, brothers and sisters, if you say that, you're not contending with this sermon today. You're contending with the word of God. The word of God says Christ came to the earth. He came to his own. And his own received him not. <laughs> okay, all right. Here's one more. The word also says that light came into the world, but darkness could not receive the light because they valued darkness more than light. Okay, that's not good enough for you. Fast forward a little bit in Jesus' life. He's 12 years old. He's going to the temple, and he's confounding the priests and the pastors of that day with his erudite wisdom and his beautiful intelligence. He's explaining the prophecy. He's telling them what's going to happen in the end of time and how everything is going to work out, and they are confounded at this time. They're wondering in their minds and in their hearts, who is this young man that knows the scriptures so well? Okay, that's not good enough for you. Jesus is an adult. <laughs> He's 30 
years old. Nobody has really recognized him with the exception of the brother in this passage who we'll get to in a second. Homeboy Jesus is walking around Nazareth, walking around Galilee. Nobody recognizes who he is. And it is not until a young brother who is sold out and all into God, John the Baptist, cries out one day and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the only point I'm trying to make today is this. Brothers and sisters, it's quite possible that God could be in your life, trying to work in your life, trying to show up in your life, and you can miss him. And I would say today, the reason you can miss him is especially if your heart and your mind is not tuned to the frequency of God. Okay, let me help you today. So, so I love listening to the radio in the morning when I get into my car and I drive. And there is a particular show that I particularly love. It's uh, with Andy Baskin and Jeff Phelps. They call it the Animal House uh, on Sports Talk Radio. And I just love listening to this station particularly because they always go in on the Cleveland Browns and every other sports team here. Always making jokes because you already know they have nothing good to say about them, at least not at this point. And so they're constantly making jokes. They're constantly condemning them and rebuking them and saying nasty things about them, but also making light little jokes. And they also talk about the different sports, the different teams out there in the NBA, NFL, and NHL. So I love to keep abreast of what they're saying by listening to this talk show. But the one thing I know after listening to this talk show for quite some time is that the show comes on at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Don't come on no other time. If I tune in any other time, I'm going to miss the show. If I tune in at 9.30 or even 9.59, I'm not going to get the show at that moment. What I also know is that the show comes on 92.3, the fan. (laughs) In other words, if my radio dial is not positioned to 92.3, I cannot hear the show. If I don't tune in at the right station, at the right time, I'm not going to be able to hear the show. Oh, y'all not with me today. If I not tune in to the right frequency, I'm not going to hear the show that I want to hear. And what I've discovered in my life is that God has his own radio show as well called the Word of God. And the reason many of us today can't hear God and what he's saying is because we're not tuned in to the right frequency. The majority of you are not tuned in to 91.1, so you can't know that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. See, you don't know that, and you don't know that you're covered, even though you go through difficult circumstances, because you're not tuned in to the right frequency. Okay, all right. When you go through hard times and you wonder how God's going to work it out, see, you don't know to turn to station 33.3. That's Jeremiah 33.3 who says if you call on me and you ask me for whatever you need, I will show you great and marvelous things that thou knowest not. See, when you are tired and you're burdened down with life, you don't know to tune in to 11.28, which is Matthew 11.28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't know the word of God, therefore you don't know when God speaks. 
How you going to hear something you ain't tuned into? And, and, and the spirit of prophecy tells us, and I believe this today, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Don't you get mad at God and say, God, you ain't speaking. If you ain't spiritual, you ain't going to hear his voice. And while sometimes we are often screaming for God to show up in our lives, the problem is we are not committed to God enough through prayer and through the study of his word and through sacrifice and through surrender and through faith that when God finally shows up in our lives, we miss him. God could come and go and you would never know. Christ could stand before you right now with a neon sign that is blinking, son of God, Jesus, that's me, that's who I am. Christ could slap you across your face and you would not know that that is him because you're not spiritual. Yeah, I know this is a hard saying today, but it's the truth of God's word. The word says that the priests missed it as well. They did not recognize that Christ was there. And they did not recognize it because they were not spiritually discerned. And we're wondering today, God, why can't I hear your voice? God, everything that's coming into my life right now, it's like I got so many talking heads in my ear right now. I can't discern your voice from others. Jesus even said in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice. And when I call them, they come. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, if another calls them, they will not go because they know my voice. All I'm trying to say is it's possible for God to be right in front of you, moving and intervening in your life, and you do not see him working because you're not tuned in. Well, I, I, I also believe that the priests also missed Jesus that day simply because they were not looking for him either. And let me help you with that because I don't want you to leave here and not get anything I say today. I, I remember that I was in middle school. And I just remember that for months on end, uh, I had asked my parents for a game gear. <laughs> and most of you don't know what that is. You know what that is? Yeah, it, was, yeah, it came out. It was cool. Um, Game Gear is basically a portable gaming device where if my mom was in the store shopping, I could still sit in the car and play my Game Gear. I could walk around the mall or the house and change out the cartridges, and I like to play Sonic and things of that nature. And I wanted that Game Gear so bad that I begged and I pleaded with my parents for what seemed like months on end. Mama, please. Daddy, please. I'll do Get me that game gear. I just remember begging and pleading, Mama, I'll clean my room. Daddy, I'll cut the lawn. I'll take out the garbage. I'll work your job for you if you tell me to. I got to have that thing because all my friends had it for about a month now, and I wanted that thing too. And I remember one day, it was towards the end of my, one of my middle school school days, and for some reason, I was just famished. <laughs> How many of y'all have been hungry before? <laughs> I was so hungry, I felt like I was going to pass out. I was starving. I didn't have any cash in my wallet to get anything from the vending machine. And my mom used to pick me up from school in the afternoons after school was over. And I remember that day I got into the car, and I remember my brother was in the back seat. And I said, Mama, listen, I don't know what you got planned for today, but if you got to stop at Burger King (laughs) 
or McDonald's or somewhere, and you got to get me something to eat. I feel like I'm about to keel over and die. Please, mama, get me something to eat. Well, my mama says, son, well, don't worry about it. We're not going to stop, but I promise you I got something special for you. I got some food for you that is in your room when you come home, so don't worry about it. I'm going to make it quick. We're going to take you home. You're going to get something to eat. You're going to be all right. I said, all right, okay, but if I die, it's on you, so whatever you, whatever you want to do. All right, okay, okay. So I get in the car. My, my mom is driving. We do hit a little bit of traffic, and I'm starving. I'm feverish at this point. I'm just like, yo, I need something to eat, and I remember eventually, finally, we pulled into the driveway. I burst out of the door. I put my key in the lock and turned it, ran into my room and began to look for the food. And to my surprise, I did not see any food. And so I'm wondering to myself now, what in the world? I'm about to die. I I got to eat. Y'all know how it is. Come on now. When you're hungry, you're almost willing to do anything. Esau sold his birthright for it. So hungry, I ran back outside to where my mom and my brother were. They were about to get out the car, and I said, Mama, now, where, where is the food that you promised me? And my mom says, Son, what, you didn't see what I left on your bed? I said, What are you talking about? There's no food in there. She says, Son, go back in that room and see what I left for you. So I went into my room, and I began to look, and brothers and sisters, lo and behold, and to my utter shock and amazement, and to my angst almost to a certain degree, I saw the game gear that I had been begging my mother and father for, for what seemed like months on end, smack dab in the middle of my bed. And the only reason I missed it, even though it was in plain sight, is because I was worried about something else. Oh, help me, God. I missed what was right in front of me because I was not looking for it. Neither was I expecting it. And even when I got it, y'all better believe I put that thing to the side and ran to the refrigerator and got something to eat. So even when I got it, it was not as special as it could have been if I had been looking for it in the same as with God. Because we're not looking for God to show up. We do not expect God to show up in our circumstances. We don't expect God to answer our prayers. When God does it, he cannot get the glory. God don't get no credit from some of the stuff that he's doing. And right now, you're praying and you're asking God, God, you need to move in my life right now. I need a job. But what you don't really know is, is that God set it up for you to lose your job so he can bring you into something better. But because you don't know the word, and you don't know that for God's believers, all things work together for good. For them that love the Lord, for them who are called according to his purpose. See, you don't know that. Because you ain't looking for God, you're not going to see him when he comes. Because you're not asking for him, and you're not staying on your knees, and you're not praying for God to show up, you're going to miss him every single time the church today we got a major problem now there's no urgency nobody's claiming any big prayers today nobody's putting God on blast and putting God to the test the prophets of old would sit down and they would shake their fist towards heaven and say God this is what you said you better do this and expect God to move we ain't talking about praying in hope Zach we praying in expectancy I'm looking for God to do something After I pray. 
Some of you asking for a word from the Lord. And your problem is you're looking for God to come out out of the clouds and say, John, this is what I want you to do. God speaks in a variety of ways. And most oftentimes, God uses other people to rebuke us. And while you're asking God for advice and you're asking God, tell me which way I should go, God is like I already told you. I sent brother so-and-so to tell you the road that you're going down is not good for you. Turn around. So this issue is not God's not working. The issue is not that God is not there. My Bible tells me he'll never leave me nor forsake me. In fact, just before he went into heaven, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. The problem is not that God is not there. The problem is with your natural fleshly eyesight, you cannot see him. <laughs> God could be right there, right in front of your face. Working things out and leading you and trying to tell you and trying to move you around and change your circumstances. But if you're not connected to him, you're going to miss him every time. And might I say this too, just because we're in committed to Christmas. If you're not committed to God, you're definitely going to miss him every time. <sighs> Word of God tells a story about King Saul. Homeboy was a good king for a little while. But after a while, the word of God says that God stopped speaking to him. But when you study that thing in the original language and you look at a few commentaries and you look at what the scholars have to say, what you discover is that God did not stop speaking to Saul. Saul stopped hearing God. <laughs> because we will not commit to God. Because we will not sacrifice or surrender to God. Because we don't spend not nearly enough time in God's word. When God speaks, we're not going to hear him. And even if we do hear a voice in our head, we're going to chalk that up to schizophrenia or I'm crazy. You're going to miss God every time. Well, the word of God says that this priest... They miss Christ when he comes into the temple, and it's so interesting. They just take the baby boys they've done over and over again. They just go through the usual motions, but they miss Christ. But, but, but the, the, there is still hope in this text because the Bible says there is at least one man who got it. Somebody say amen. <laughs> there is one man who stands in stark contrast to the priests at this point, there is one man who got it together and got Jesus while everybody else in the house of God missed him. And so today I, I just want to discover his secret. And here is what the Bible says about him. Verse 25, please don't take my word for it. I want you to know the word of God for yourself so you can hear him for yourself. Now... There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. What's his name? Who was righteous and devout. Oh, my goodness. Brothers and sisters, these are not words that we just casually throw around when we describe people. These are not adjectives that you just throw on somebody just because you like them. If you call somebody righteous and devout, that means that you mean it. So when Luke penned this description of Simeon, he meant what he said. And what the Bible is trying to tell us is that the first and foremost more, most important thing about Simeon is that his character was right. 
Homeboy was righteous, which means that he was faithful. He trusted in God. He allowed God to lead his life. But also he was devout, which meant that he was a just man, a man of integrity, a man that held to the word of God and kept the word of God and also was obedient to the law of God. He had character. Well, the Bible also says that not only was he righteous and devout, but he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. But I pause for a minute and talk to you about waiting. Have mercy, God. Simeon was waiting on, Israel, on Jesus to come because Israel was so messed up at that time. And it, was, it was, had been defeated on several occasions. Simeon was looking for the coming of Christ. And the Bible does not say not only was he looking, homeboy was waiting. And brothers and sisters, if you're waiting... That means you're expecting something to happen. The Bible says Simeon is a little old man in the temple, and he's waiting for God to show up. The priests aren't doing that. They're taking little babies off the assembly line. They're holding them up before the altar. They're giving them back to their parents. They're, they're lighting the candles in the temple. They're sacrificing the bullets, but they ain't really thinking about God. They ain't thinking about Jesus. They're not thinking about his coming. And how bad is it today that what was happening 2,000 years ago is still happening in the house of God today? How many of you really think about the second coming of Christ? Do you know that Christ could come today? No, you don't know that. And might I shock you just a little bit today? Ellen White even says, because most of us were saying, well, pastor, this has to be fulfilled. And what about the 2300-day prophecies? And there's going to be signs and blood in the stars and all this kind of stuff. Ellen White says that all of the prophecies in the Bible right before the second coming of Christ could happen in one night. She says the last scenes of earth's history will be rapid ones. And while we are sitting around like the, the foolish virgins, not keeping our lamps trimmed and burning, not expecting Christ to come, not being urgent in our hearts and our minds, not putting the coming of Christ in the forefront of our minds, Christ could come like a thief in the night and catch us unawares. I'll say amen. Some people... In Israel had given up hope in the Messiah. They thought he would never come. But in his old age, this brother just strikes me, Simeon is waiting patiently for the coming of the Lord. He's not given up hope yet in God. He yet holds to his word. And I wish that God today, I will even for myself, that God have some believers that, are know, that know that Christ is coming again soon. I wish I had time to talk about some believers who know that this earth is really not their home. But in fact, the word says that right now we are seated in heavenly places and we are citizens of heaven. And nothing that you acquire in this life will do you any good come when Jesus comes. In fact, the majority of the things that we put our hope and trust in today, they do nothing for us and have no eternal significance whatsoever. Simeon said, listen, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I am waiting on the coming of Christ. 
I don't care what everybody else is into. I don't care about the newest fad. I don't care who's driving what and who has this job and who has this much money. My main goal in life is that I meet Jesus. Well, the word says not only was he righteous and devout, not only was he waiting, but this to me is probably arguably the most important thing about him. Homeboy, the Bible says, was led by the Spirit. (laughs) He was led by the Spirit. In fact, it was that day that the Spirit led him into the temple in the first place. Simeon was smart enough to know, listen, I'm going to let the Spirit lead my life. Because you do know, brothers and sisters, that the Word of God says that we're born in sin and we're shaping iniquity. In other words, we don't really know what we're doing moment to moment, hour by hour, second by second. We have no idea what the future holds for us. Neither do we know how to make good decisions with our own lives, regardless of what we have been taught from childhood. So in order for you to make a right decision, in order for you to live a good life and make good decisions with your life and not accumulate a whole bunch of negative consequences and punishments for the things that you have done, the only way to supersede the evil in this world is to let the Spirit of God lead your life. Simeon said, I don't want to make my own decisions. I want the Spirit of God to lead my life because there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Text seems to suggest that not only was the Spirit on him, but the Spirit had a continual and abiding presence in his life. In other words, there was hardly ever a time where the Spirit was not leading him. You don't want that today didn't have to come to church to get the Spirit. In fact, the Bible says the Spirit led him to the church that day. (laughs) Verse 26, the Word says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Then, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and guess what he said? The word said he praised God, and homeboy said this. I love it, I love it, I love it, God. Sovereign Lord, because you have done as you have promised, and as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Because Simeon was so concerned with the things of God, and he wanted to see Israel restored back to its place, God made this man a promise. Simeon, Michael, Zach, Roscoe, you will not die until you have seen the Lord. I am not going to let you pass on until you come into connection with me. (laughs) For most people, this is not important. Christ is not important for people before they die. For most people, they got to get their financial portfolio together. Once that together and they leave a legacy for their children, okay, I'm ready to die. 
For most people, they've got to have their name in lights before they can give up on life and say they're ready to go. For most people, they've got to stand on a stage with bright lights on them. They've got to have their face and their portrait on the front of a newspaper or maybe even become the person of the year in Time magazine. People have all these ambitions and goals in their life. The Word of God says Simeon only had one goal. I want to see Jesus and then I can die. <laughs> we major in minors. We want things that have no eternal significance. We want things that will do us no good and don't amount to a hill of beans by the time Christ comes. And I just think it would be nice today if the people of earth, we began to pray different prayers when we talk to God. I think it would be nice if we had a different perspective when we talk to God. Simeon said, God, listen, I don't want much from you. I just want to meet Jesus in my life, and my life will be fulfilled, and I'll be satisfied. But too many people pass through this world and don't care if they meet God or not. And I think God is trying to change our thinking today. And let me offer you something, and I promise I'm going to sit down in the next few minutes. Um, I think God is trying to teach us that in this life, it's not about what I attain while I'm here, but it's all about who I come to know while I'm living this life. I think God is trying to change our thinking. And see, I believe that, that we all should have the same measure of success, believers and non-believers. And here's what I'll put to you today. Even for people outside of the church, they ought to have the same prayer as people in the church. Let me make it plain. Even atheists and agnostics ought to be saying and praying the same thing as Christians Seventh-day Adventists. In other words, atheists and agnostics who say that there is no God and also wonder if there is a God, they ought to at least just say, get down on their knees and say, God, if there is even a chance that you exist, don't let me die until I see you. Even atheists ought to get down on their knees and say, God, I don't really believe this thing, and I don't know if it's real, but I see people going to the church every Saturday. I see people praising God. I see things happening in their life. I don't know whether to chalk that up to happenstance or accident. But God, if you're real, don't let me die until I meet you. Then even church people ought to have the same prayer as well. Even while you're sitting here in church and you've been coming to church for 30 years and your father was a pastor and everybody was a deacon in your family and everybody came to this church, your prayer ought to be, God, don't let me come up in the church Sabbath after Sabbath. Year after year, day after day, and still not meet you. Timmy said, I want to see Jesus. I want to meet the king. I want to meet this man they say is going to die for me on the cross. I want to meet the lover of my souls. I want to meet him, and I'll be ready to go on. And the word of God says that when Simeon takes this little itty baby boy, Jesus, the son of the living God, he looks at him, and he holds him up, and he says, Jesus, God, now because you have allowed me to see you, you may now dismiss me in peace. For believers, please don't leave without this. For believers today, I want you to know that our lives are not robbed from us. 
I want you to know that no matter what happens to you or any loved one in your life that believes in God, if they enter into a horrible accident and they die, if they succumb to illness and they die, if they get sick and the doctors can do nothing else for them and they die, their lives are not taken away from them. But because we are believers, this text seems to suggest that believers in God, when we die, we are not taken, we are dismissed in peace. In other words, it's like serving in the army. And when you get done with your tour of duty, when you get done with your time of service, God honorably discharges you and dismisses you with peace. But here's the kicker today, brothers and sisters. If you never enlisted, you cannot be dismissed in peace. If you never went through training, you can't serve in the army of the Lord and expect to get your crown and your badge when you're done. If you're never committed to him on the front end, don't expect God to bless you on the back end. Simeon's whole life was so committed to God that he could say, God, take me now. I love it. So God just d- 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 dismiss me in peace. In fact, he said, God, please take me now because I don't want to risk my salvation and do something later on in the day. And not make it into heaven. I've seen Jesus. That's enough for me. Take me to glory. You can't say that today. In fact, the majority of people in the church can't say that today. The reason they can't say that is because they never sacrificed or surrendered anything to God. And the truth is, somewhere deep down in our subconscious, somewhere deep down in our psyche, we are afraid of meeting God because we know we have not given him our first, our best, and our last. We're accustomed to giving God a part of our lives. God, take school and let me get in. God, get me this job. God, fix my car. God, save this child. God, give me some more money. But that's not what Simeon is saying. Simeon is not asking for something from God. He's giving God his whole life. In other words, he says, God, your will is more important than my life. Oh, you think on that for a minute. Your will is more important than my life. I'm going to miss my family when I'm gone. I know they're going to miss me. I know I'm not going to have a chance to get all the kudos and the accolades. I'm not going to have a chance to explore all my gifts and my talents. But it's enough for me if I meet Jesus and I get saved. That ain't nobody's prayer no more. Y'all want to be successful. Y'all want to be popular, and you want to be famous, and you want to have a full bank account, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but brothers and sisters, put your priorities in order. If you are not more concerned about the coming of Christ and God being in your life, then I say today that you are a sorry soul, and your priorities are in the wrong place. Simeon said, God, I've seen you. Take me Now, then the word says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
And it's interesting today, I'm looking at this text and I'm looking for the priest. I'm looking for myself in the text. Where is the pastor of the church who's supposed to be doing this baby dedication? Where is the priest or the people of God who are supposed to be exclaiming, God is here, praise the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, hallelujah, Jesus has come, thank you Jesus. There's nothing like that in the text besides a little old man by the name of Simeon who's in the temple and he's the only one who recognizes Jesus. How is that possible? What happened here in this text? When your life is committed to God, you'll see God even in the little things. So that when somebody comes to you and say, man, aren't you so glad that that thing worked out that way? It was just crazy how that happened. You will begin to say, no, 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 honey. That was God. Mm. Wasn't nobody else but God. Somebody will come to you and tell you, listen, it seemed like that was happenstance the way that worked out. Man, I know you didn't expect that. Oh, yes, I did. I prayed about it. God worked it out. And and it's funny. Simeon's the only one. Mm who recognizes Jesus at this point, and not only that, nothing in the text tells us that the priest blessed this baby. But Simeon is the one who pronounces a blessing over the baby and tells Mary what is to come. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon is able to recount the prophecies to Mary where the priests cannot. He blesses the baby who has no seminary training as far as we know. We don't even know how much of the word he actually knows. But homeboy recognizes Jesus because he's led by the spirit. He's righteous and devout. And he was waiting and looking for the coming of God. Brothers and sisters, I come here to say one thing. And I'm going to close this Bible and close this iPad. And I'm going to sit down in just one second. Here it is. In your life right now, what I want you to do and what I'm imploring you to do is to take your cues from God. I don't want you to make decisions flippantly. I don't want you to allow your life to be led by what's popular or what's famous or what's trending in your life right now. If you are not spending time with God in your life, you're going to miss God every time. (laughs) And it's much better for you in your life to take cues from God. And you know what? If God was leading your life, you would not have some of the self-same worries that you have in your life right now. Okay, I'll end like this. You can go ahead. This, this is it. I'm done. Um, this past week, I, I flew down to Huntsville, Alabama. And I left uh, Cleveland International Airport around 11.30 a.m. And, you know, the storm was just coming in or what have you. And uh, I just happened to have a layover in Baltimore, Maryland. And, it's, it, I mean, it's crazy because... When the plane finally got down in Baltimore, it looked like the North Pole. I mean, snow was everywhere. It was almost zero visibility. I could barely see out of my window. You know, I really thought that my flight would be delayed. But the flight from Cleveland uh, to Baltimore um, was kind of shaky. And I don't mind telling you this today. Um, I will never admit fear in front of you. But what I will say is that I was a bit nervous. My eyes did not water and no tears streamed down my face. But 
I was a little bit anxious on this flight. The plane seemed to be doing like this. The whole time bumping up and down. I even heard some ungodly sounds from the undercarriage. And because I have consumed so much television in my young life and so many movies, the only thing I could picture was that plane going down to the ground in a great fireball. And usually, you know, I, I've usually always been afraid of planes. And I, I just remember that um, I, I, on my first flight, I was quoting scripture like nonstop. And actually, it was a pretty smooth flight, my first flight. But I was still quoting scripture. I was so afraid. Like, yo, we are, are we 30,000 feet in the air? And by the way, I don't understand how planes fly in the first place. I don't, I don't get it. Um, but I was afraid. And so this flight from Cleveland to Baltimore... Uh, plane was going every which way, all over the place. And I'm wondering to myself, what in the world is going on? And when I'm on a plane, because I I fly so much nowadays, and it's the best way to travel, is what they say. Um, When the plane is going through turbulence, I don't look at the passengers in the cabin next to me. Because I feel as though, just like me, they don't know about aeronautics, They don't know about aerodynamics. They don't understand just as much as I do why the wing on the plane is flapping up and down like this. And it seems like it could break off. It could happen, y'all. Come on. (laughs) I don't take my life for granted. Um, I don't look at the passengers. But then I I also, I don't look at the stewardesses at all. Because I know that the stewardesses are are, are trained to put on a smiley face. (laughs) And sometimes they don't even really mean it. So I don't look at them. But when I am just a tad bit afraid on the plane, and when turbulence is happening, the one thing that I don't look for, because I cannot see him, but I I listen for the voice of the pilot. Now, I can't see him because he's in the cockpit. I've never seen his face before. I don't know him from Adam. But every time I have flown and there has been just a little bit of rattling or a little bit of shaking on the plane, I always listen out for the voice of the pilot because the pilot will come across the intercom and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I want to let you know that we're about 30 minutes away from our destination. We're about 20,000 feet in the air, and we'll be making our descent shortly. There is a little bit of turbulence, and so what I want you to do, I put on uh, the fasten your seatbelt sign. I want you to stay put in your seat. The seat that you paid for, your assigned seat. (laughs) Don't get up. But I I don't want you moving around the cabin. Just stay right there in your seat. There's nothing wrong. And I want to let you know that in the next 30 minutes or so, about the next uh, 200 miles or so, we will be on the ground safe and sound. And for me, I don't know about you, but that brings me comfort. And it brings me comfort because although I cannot see the pilot... I'm happy to hear his voice because he can see much farther than I can see from where I'm seated. But if I just stay committed to my seat, 
if I just stay where he placed me in the first place, and if I just listen for his voice and take my cues from him, I'm going to get to my destination safely. Do I have anybody in here who really believes that when you listen to the voice of God and you make God your number one priority, God will carry you through? Simeon's a little old man. Got no degrees behind his name. Nobody special and nobody important. But he heard the voice of God say to him one day, homeboy, you're not going to die until you have seen Jesus. Not only that, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so day by day, he was taking cues from God. One day he happened to take a cue from God, walk into the temple, and meet his Savior and say, God, that's enough for me. Everything else was great. Had a good life, had a good wife and a good family. But God, my greatest desire in life right now is to see Jesus high and lifted up. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Mm. Oh, my Lord. Father, during this Christmas season, you put on, Pastor Edmonds, in my heart, that the people of God need to be committed. We need to be sold out for you. And God, it is true what I've seen on so many church signs. (laughs) That God, you want full custody, not weekend visits. You want us all to yourself. You want Christians that are sold out for you. You want people that are true to you and that are all in for you. That I'm asking you to bless a part of their lives and they can do the rest without you. They're saying, God, I need you in my life. And whatever it is that you're trying to do, I don't want to miss it or mess it up. So here's what I'm praying, God, for the people. That you would begin, as you did with Simeon, to lead them by your Holy Ghost. And to tell them right from wrong. And show them darkness from light. And Father, peel away the scales from our eyes. Because we say that you are not there. We say that you are not listening. We're wondering why you are not moving. But help us, oh God, to wait patiently. And help us to be so spiritually discerned. That Father, when you move, we will see it for ourselves. If that's your desire today, won't you stand to your feet with me right now? If you really want to be committed to God, stand to your feet. And I'm going to do something just a tad bit different today. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are still closed. And all I'm going to do today, this is my appeal, this is simple. I just want you to talk to God right now. I'm not crazy. Because, see, I I know throughout the week, I don't talk to God as much as I should either. And maybe for somebody in the audience, it's going to be the first time you talk to God all week. So I want you to talk to God. And I want you to ask him, if you want it, God, help me to be committed. Lead my life. Show me where you're working. Don't bless where I am. But show me to the place where you're already blessing. Lead me and guide me. Help me to trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him.
and he will direct thy paths. Pray to your God right now. Uh, talk to him and speak to him. Ask him to help you be committed. Some of you are asking God.